Uh, let's open in our Bibles to Psalm 119. Actually, I meant Psalm 19. Opening your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 in your Bibles. Uh, our Ventura campus will be joining us for this sermon. Let's let them know how much we love them. Give them a big round of love. Ventura. Love you guys in Ventura. Good to be with you. We'll get to the text in a minute. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, it's wonderful to be here with your people. So great, Jesus, to gather around you. We just remind ourselves that we're here for you, because of you, to be with you, to exalt you, to enjoy you, to learn about you, to endeavor to be more faithful in following you, bringing you glory in our lives and in our world. It's all about you, Jesus. You've been the reason for this Christmas season. You're the only one in whom we hope. You're the only one who could ever forgive us of our sins. Whom have we in heaven but you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you're so great a Savior. Thank you that when we put our faith in you, we are yours. You bring us the love of the Father. Thank you that you're working in our lives, that you're transforming us, that you love us just the way we are, broken and messy and sinful. You love us enough to transform who we are by your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word. And so do that today, Lord. We want to be faithful followers of you. We want to live our lives for your purposes, your glory and your fame in our town, in our communities, in our nation and in our world. Please help me to teach and preach in a way that is faithful to you and your word accomplishes your purposes. Please give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're making our way through the holidays here, and New Year is upon us. And the holidays are always a time of a lot of planning. There's a lot of planning that goes into Christmas and family gatherings and travel and gift giving and gift getting. We plan what gifts we want to get and we submit our list to the appropriate person. And then as soon as we're through with all the Christmas stuff, this new year is upon us all of a sudden. We're staring 2014 down the barrel. 2014. Didn't you think by now we'd all be flying around in spaceships? Remember when you were a kid and you thought of like 2,000, you thought, oh, we'll be in spaceships by then. Now it's 2014, still driving a stupid Ford. (laughs) I expected so much more. But here we are, we're staring this, this new year in the face. And at the new year, you know, we always make plans and resolutions and promises and vows at the new year. This is something we kind of do culturally. That's okay, that's... That's part of it. We're making plans for 2014. The reason that we make plans at the beginning of New Year is there is somewhere in us a subtle hope that this year will be better than the last. (laughs) I know that's true for me. 
Whatever your reasons, how, how difficult the year may have been, whether it was health issues or great losses or financial struggles or sin issues or relational difficulties, whatever it is, there is in most of us usually this secret hope that maybe this year will be better than the last year. And so we begin to plan. We make plans, don't we? We make some, we make some plans because we realize as people that nothing will ever be successful We'll never see much happen unless we plan. And so we are people who plan. We make plans for everything, don't we? I mean, if we're going to start a business, we make a business plan, right? You don't just open up the doors and say, I don't know what we're going to do. But we're just going to open up the doors and do something and make some money. It doesn't work that way. We have business plans. We make financial plans, at least those of us who are wise and prudent, right? We plan for the future and we plan a budget and we plan according to income and expenditures. We make financial plans. We make recreational plans, right? We realize like if I'm going to have some fun, I have to plan for it. I'm not going to wait for some serendipitous thing to happen. That means something by chance. I'm going to make some plans to have some fun this year. So we make vacation plans. We're saving for vacation. We think about where we want to go and who we're going to visit. And almost anything that we do in life, we plan for it. Because we know that unless we plan, we're probably not going to have the desired results. We have game plans, right? Who sends their team out on the football field and says, I don't know, boys, just do whatever comes to mind. Just kind of improvise, It's not the way it works in the big leagues, right? Like they have very detailed plans for everything that they're going to do. We are people who make plans to be successful. Very few of us ever make spiritual plans. It's weird, isn't it? Because there's nothing more important than our relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet we seem to just kind of let it happen or, 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 or hope it happens or just allow it to unfold. It seems to be the last thing that we make real tangible plans for, but it is the first thing that we ought to make plans for. You know what Christmas is reminding me again of this year once again? Is that nothing satisfies except for Jesus. Can I get a more big amen than that? I mean, I got everything I wanted for Christmas. Nothing makes me happy but Jesus. You know what I mean? Like everything I wanted, I got because of my mom. Everything I asked for. (laughs) She's in the back row. I love her. Thank you, mama. (laughs) But it doesn't mean anything apart from Christ. I'm reminded more and more. That's what those after Christmas blues are about, right? Like the next day you're like, ooh. Or even by 10 a.m., those of us that get early and, you know, start unwrapping. Even by 10 a.m., you're like, ooh. Because we put our hope in stuff. And we realize year after year, time and time again, nothing but Jesus satisfies. Some of you still need to discover that. You're living a beautiful life and a beautiful place and you got beautiful friends and you got all the stuff, but there's this deep hollowness within you. This deep unanswered longing within you. Man, you need Jesus. You are made to know him. He's the only one that will ever satisfy your soul. And when we look at 2014 and we hope that it might be a better year, our greatest hope is that we might know Jesus more. That's the crux of it. That's the greatest thing that lies before us is the possibility of knowing Jesus more this year. So we ought to make plans for that. 
right? We make plans for everything else. Let's make some plans to engage with Jesus on a greater degree this year. So there's three areas where we need to have definite plans for 2014. Here we go. You ready? We need to have a plan for scripture. We'll talk about that in a moment. We need to have a plan for mission. We'll talk about that in a moment. And we need to have a plan for relationships. Okay, these are three vital areas which will profoundly affect our Christianity, our interaction with Christ, and our interaction with one another and with the world that need to be planned for. There could be other stuff that we could talk about, but bare minimum, we got to plan for these three things, scripture, mission, and relationships. John Stott, who's one of my favorite pastors and teachers and authors who's now with the Lord, said this. He said, holiness is not something you drift into, right? Like if you just let your life just be adrift this year and just let things happen to you, if you're not proactive about your spirituality, you're not gonna drift toward holiness, right? We drift away from holiness, away from the things of God, toward the things of the world and that are contrary to God. No, holiness is something you move toward by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you work toward by the grace of God. And so is the wholeness of our Christianity. So we need to make plans for those three things. First, scripture. Let's just remind ourselves from Psalm 19 how wonderful scripture is as we talk about making plans to be involved with scripture this year. Psalm 19 starts out by talking about general revelation. Verse one says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. And then the next five verses have some details. The author of Psalm 19 there is saying, Creation reveals to us something about God, right? We, we, we look up at the stars or we, we look at the surf or we look at the mountains and all this stuff and it tells us that there's a creator who's beautiful because he brought forth all of this beauty. He's mighty because creation is so big and expansive and profound. We feel so little in the face of it. How much larger is the one who spoke all these things into existence? So creation tells us something about God. Creation is called general revelation. But this morning, we're concerned with specific revelation. General revelation can only tell us so much. If there is a God, he must be beautiful, he must be good, he must be powerful. But general, uh, excuse me, specific revelation tells us more. Specific revelation, it's hard to say, is how God has specifically revealed himself in scripture. So look what verse seven says about that. It says, the law of the Lord, okay, speaking of the word of God, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Okay, let hope begin to spring up in your heart now, looking at 2014. How many of our souls need to be restored? Man, my soul has been ravaged this year. There's a little hint here. The word of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord, speaking of the word of God, is sure, making wise the simple. How many of us are simple? Verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Or as the New Living, or excuse me, I think it's the NIV says, the word of the Lord is radiant, 
giving light to the eyes. Verse nine, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Now listen to what verse 10 says and believe it. They are more desirable than gold. The word of God is more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Stop right there for a moment. Do you believe that? Has that been your experience with the word of God? I would humbly suggest to you that if you don't believe that, then you haven't experienced the word of God. We spend so much time pursuing after gold, right? Finances, we spend so much time pursuing after things that are sweet, possessions and eating and drinking. But, but the word of God tells us that the word of God is more wonderful than all of those things. We need to begin to think about that and believe that as we plan for 2014 because we'll spend a lot of time pursuing things that are desirable, things that are sweet. We'll spend a lot of time pursuing finance and income. The word of God deserves some time this year. Verse 11, moreover, by them, that is a commandment to the Lord, thy servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. There's great reward. What a promise for the beginning of a year. In keeping God's word, there is great reward. The New Testament takes this idea of the value of the word of God and the attributes of the word of God. And Paul employs these thoughts when he's writing to the church in Colossae. And he says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How's that for a goal this year? Let the, the word of God richly dwell within you. You know, there's so much that dwells in our hearts and minds. And we are such a media-saturated culture. Right? We, we just are. It's, it's everywhere. And it's so easy to get our hearts and minds filled with all sorts of images, content, philosophies, truth claims, language. I don't have TV at my house, nor do I have the internet at my home. So I make it hard for myself, and yet I find that my heart and my mind are continually bombarded with all sorts of impurities. Am I alone in that? Listen, my, Jesus said that evil comes from the heart. Paul said that sin dwells in us. David said that we were born in iniquity. My mind and my heart don't need a lot of help for wicked imagery, but boy, the media helps me. You know what I'm saying? So it's impossible to avoid it. And I'm not saying, you know, you got to get rid of your TV, you got rid of the internet. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we have been given a way to combat all that imagery, all that philosophy, all those truth claims, all that stuff. That we have the opportunity in 2014 to fill our hearts and our minds with something better. Something that is pure, something that is perfect, something that is right, something that is clean and enduring, true and righteous, the word of God. And so to the degree that we have this, this media intake this year, we need to mitigate that with the word of God intake this year. We need to make plans this year to let the word of God richly dwell within us. If you don't plan for it, it's not going to happen. Look what 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 say. We have it on the screen. 
Like newborn babies, by the way, you guys know I'm having a baby in March. So anytime, anytime, anytime I see the word like newborn babies, this is very real to me. Long for the pure milk of the word. Right, right, check it out, check it out. Like newborn babies, it's instinctive. They come out and they want the leche, <laughs> right? They want the milk. That, it's just, it's, it's, it's instinctive within them, right? That's, that's part of who they are as human beings who have just been born. Listen, part of who you are as human beings who have been born again is that you long for the word of God. The Holy Spirit is in you creating a longing for the holy word of God. Give yourself to that. What God's spirit is doing in you, give yourself to that. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Listen, so that by it, you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You know, Christians don't grow day by day. Christians grow word by word. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. That's not what denotes Christian maturity. It's how well-saturated you are in the truth of God, in the word of God, right? That with a little bit of living is where maturity comes from. It comes from the word of God. Christians grow word by word. That's what it says. Long for the pure milk of the word, right? There's, there's a, those initial days when a baby get, begins to nurse, that there's all those nutrients in the mom that are absolutely vital for the development of that child. The word of God is absolutely vital for our spiritual development, absolutely vital. Without it, things don't grow right and go right. Long for the pure, pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, right? We, we want to grow in our love affair with Jesus Christ this year. So that, that requires that we have plans for the word of God. Now, plans always mean two things, general plans in life, time and place, right? You can't say, oh, I have plans with Kate unless there's a time in mind and a place in mind. In other words, you, otherwise you don't have any plans, right? Plans always denote time and place. We must have for 2014 a time of day and a place in our homes where we will get into the word of God every day. You know as well as I do, is you, if you don't schedule it, it's not gonna happen. We're all busy, right? You meet someone or you see someone, you know, how you been? Oh, busy, right? That's the go-to answer. How are you? So busy. (laughs) Even when they're not, it's like what we intuitively say as a culture now. How are you? Super busy. No, you're not. (laughs) You're 19. You're surfing all. What are you talking about? (laughs) So busy. But we do know that if we don't schedule something, it's not going to happen. Can we, as we look at 2014, schedule time to be in the word of God every day? Let's do this. So think of a time that's going to work best for you. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are evening people. I'm a morning person. I get up at 4 a.m. almost every day. Not because I'm holy, but because that's when I'm at my best. I'm just, I'm good at 4 a.m. So because that's when I'm best, I devote that time to Jesus. I get up at 4 a.m. That's when I spend time with the Lord. After the sun comes up, I'm like 50-50 all day long. (laughs) You wish you knew me at 4 (laughs) a.m. Daylight hours, 50-50, nighttime, forget about it. 
Sun goes down, my wife locks me in the house, I'm off limits. When are you best, give your best time to Jesus? Doesn't that make sense? Give your best time. When are you at your best? Maybe it's right before bed. Maybe it's middle of the day. So schedule it. You know if you don't schedule it, it's not going to happen. You don't drift toward holiness. Schedule time and then place. I have a few places because uh, I get bored quickly. So I have a few places in my home that are designated. The last several days, it's been in front of the fireplace in my living room. So then before I go to bed, I, I build a fire. I don't light it yet. I get the wood all set and I set the coffee maker to go off automatically at 4 a.m., right? And so I set my alarm, actually at 3.50. So I set my alarm for four. I wake up, coffee's ready. And I go and I just light the fire and I already set the chair facing the fire and I have my Bible sitting on the chair. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm planning for it. I'm like, when you make a plan with someone really special, you're like, you got your best stuff on, you're there, you make sure you don't smell, like, <laughs> right, you get everything ready, you light the candles, you put on Marvin Gaye, like, you do whatever. <laughs> like, I'm meeting with Jesus, I'm going to set it up right. Right, we do that with so many things in our lives except the lover of our souls. What are we thinking? Make your best time Jesus time in 2014 and begin to grow. We grow by the word of God. Now, admittedly, it's going to take a little bit of effort. Growth always requires some effort. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but accurately handles the word of truth. Okay, that's some work language there. Be diligent, could be translated work hard. To present yourself approved to God, we all answer to God, as a workman, as it pertains to scripture, as a workman. Or you know who a workman is? They, they know how to get their hands dirty. They know how to handle their tools. They're, they're in the thing. They know that thing. Be diligent, work hard to present yourself approved to God as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. What is the shame? The shame is in being a Christian who knows nothing of the word of God who doesn't let the wonderful word of Christ, which is pure and true and radiant and wonderful and more desirable than gold and sweet honey, dwell richly within them, accurately handling the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved, it says in the old King James. A little bit of work, a little bit of effort, giving ourselves to studying scripture. Now look what begins to happen when we do this. It's not that we just read scripture Scripture reads us. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 on the screen. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, we just don't read the word of God. The word of God is actually reading us. It's alive. It's active. It's, it's piercing the depth of who we are. It's, it's dealing with lies that we've believed. It's dealing with false th- theologies and philosophies that are challenging truth. It's dealing with our insecurities and our, our biases and our anger and our unforgiveness and our 
wrong longings and addictions. It's always wonderfully and lovingly because the Father loves you confronting these things. Things we're not even aware of. You're reading the word of God and all of a sudden there's this revelation like, oh my gosh, that's in there? By the way, everybody else knew it was. (laughs) We're the only ones that didn't pick up on it. You're like, oh Lord, that's in my heart? That sort of stuff is coming from my mouth and, and the word of God is like a mirror illuminated by the Spirit of God that reveals that stuff to us so that God could work in our life. It's effective. The Word of God has an effective work in our lives. It is by the Word of God that we grow. So look what 2 Timothy 3 says, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God, God breathed, and profitable, profitable, useful, okay, good for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Okay, the word of God is useful for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness. You know what that means? The word of God shows us what is right, teaching. The word of God instructs us in what is wrong, reproof. The word of God shows us how to get right, Correction. And the word of God shows us how to stay right. Training in righteousness. It's not getting easier in our culture to know right from wrong. It's getting more difficult. Right? Everything just wants to be painted 50 shades of gray. Man, we need to be wise and discerning. The book of Hebrews says that by giving ourselves to the word of God, we have our senses trained to discern right from wrong. The word of God begins to instruct us in what is right, what is wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right, training in righteousness. So make a plan to be in the word of God this year. So what might your plan be? There's lots of ways that you can read the word of God. A wonderful way is the one-year Bible, right? And if you get our bulletin via email, if you don't go to the website and sign up, there's versions of the one-year Bible that you can download there. You can Google it. You can get version. You can get apps. There's, you can buy a one-year Bible. There's a million ways to do that. And reading the Bible through in a year is great. I think my mom is on her ninth year, mom? Ninth year. How's my mom? My mom is such a stud. <laughs> Let's hear it from my mom, people. Nine years. I don't know what my dad is doing, but anyway. <laughs> Just kidding, Pops. Just kidding. Uh, l- let me talk a little bit about one-year Bible. It's wonderful. It takes you all the way through Scripture. There's a lot of different plans. You could do it chronologically. You could just do it straight through Genesis to Revelation. You can do the most popular way, which is a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament, a little bit of Psalm, a little bit of Proverb each day. That's, you know, find out which one might work for you and, and give yourself to it if you want to read through the whole Bible in a year. Here's kind of the plus and minuses of reading through the Bible in a year from my perspective. The plus is if you're real goal oriented as I am, like once I set a goal, I'm going to hit it no matter who I kill. That, if, you, if you're that kind of person, that's a great goal to set, right? You're like, I'm going to read the Bible this year. It's like, it's happening. I'm really thankful that I had made that commitment along with you guys in 2012. We were doing that as a church and I had done it before, but in 2012, I committed to reading the Bible in a year and most of that year, my daughter was dying. 
And I, I spent a large portion of that year really, really struggling with God. But because I'm so dang stubborn, no matter how mad I was at God, I got up every single morning and did my reading. A lot of times I didn't feel like it. A lot of times I didn't believe it. A lot of times it just made me more mad. But in the end, it saved my butt. It saved me that I was in the word of God every day. Guys, I was so close to going so sideways when my daughter was dying. Man, I'm so thankful that we had just said together, let's let's read the Bible this year. And I committed to doing that. It saved my hide that I was doing it that year. Really did. So if you're really goal-oriented, it could be a good thing because you're like, I'm going to do it, do it. It can also be sort of, there can be a problem if you're really goal-oriented with it in this way. I'm so goal-oriented, I like to just get to the end. So if you have like three chapters to read that day, sometimes you find yourself just racing for the end. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, I find myself doing that all the time with the one-year Bible reading. I'm like a chapter and a half in. I'm like, chapter and a half to go. I'm almost done. And then I'm just powering through. And then you missed it because the goal is not to just check off, oh, I read it. The goal is to draw near to Jesus. And if we're just rushing through and making it a goal that we could check off on some spiritual checklist, man, we miss the whole point. So that's a real danger for someone who's like me, you know what I mean? I just want to check it off and say, I did it. That doesn't do anything. The goal of being in scripture is to commune with Christ, is to enjoy Jesus, to grow in him, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, to know him better. So you got to think about how that might work best for you. So it might be one year, it might not be. Maybe it's just reading the New Testament this year, a little less pressure, right? A little less pressure. It's a little less crazy. There's a little less, I don't know, stuff. And there's 318 chapters in the New Testament. So that's a good goal. You could still miss some days as we all will, right? But there's 318 chapters in the New Testament. Say, I'm going to read a chapter a day this year. Um, There's been other times in my life where I just committed just reading through the Psalms over and over during the year. I love doing that. Man, I I spend most of my life in the Psalms. I love the Psalms. Proverbs is a great reading commitment. You might just say, I just want to know more about the life and ministry of Jesus. So commit to reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this year, right? That's totally doable. Or you might say, I want to know more about the the epistles and their doctrinal content, what Paul had to say and John and Peter. So read through the epistles this year. You see, there's a lot of freedom in what you might do. But if you don't make a plan, you're not going to do anything. You got to make a plan. If you need help making a plan, come by the church. We'll help you call us, whatever. You, you got to have a plan. Google it. Plan for reading the Bible. You'll get many. But come up with a plan. Know who you are and know the season of your life. Sometimes you want to read large portions of scripture, sometimes little portions. There's been years where I committed to reading 15 chapters a day because if you do that, you could read the Bible in three months and you get the whole picture of the Bible pretty quickly. That's really cool. There's been other times where I just read like a phrase a day and meditate on it. I'll tell you what I did this last year, 2013, and what I'm going to do again in 2014, is I'm choosing different books that I want to read. I'm praying about it. I feel like I'm being led by the Holy Spirit in it. And I just read the smallest amount that I can. I just just read a little bit, just a little vignette or pericope, just a few verses maybe. And then I do these four things, okay? I look for revelation, I look for a place to be 
to give thanksgiving. I look for a way to pray or to confess and then to pray. So I read a little passage and then there's always the wow. Wow, Lord, this is so cool, the revelation. And there's always something to be thankful. Lord, thank you that you love us or whatever it is. Thank you for this or thank you that you convicted me on that. And then confession. Wow, Lord, as I read this, I realize that this is going on in my life and I, I want to repent for this. And I want to confess about that. And then prayer. Lord, help me with these things. So those four things. So I just read the smallest amount where I feel like, oh man, the Lord is starting to speak to me. Before I read the Bible, I always pray, Holy Spirit, speak to me in the word of God. Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the teacher of all things. I always pray that. Speak to me. And without fail, throughout 2014, I journaled through all these books in the Bible. And there's always a revelation, something for thanksgiving. There's always something to be confessed and something to pray about. This morning, I started Matthew a few days ago. So this morning, I was reading in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus calls some of the disciples and makes them fishers of men. Right? And so I was confessing, Lord, I, I want my heart for the lost to be greater. You've called me to be a fisher of men. I, I, want my, I want to feel your burden for lost people more than I do. And then I was praying. I was praying for the surfing community in Carpinteria. I was praying, Lord, save surfers in Carpinteria. That was just me this morning. I care about everyone else. Don't get me wrong. But just this morning, I, I was praying that. And so there was just this richness that happened, just a few verses. Jesus calling them saying, I'll make you fishers of men. But it's already having an effect in me. Right, he's already answering that prayer. I'm already feeling burdened for the people in our community to know Jesus and praying more for this specific group. However you read, make sure you read careful and prayerful, okay? Don't rush the word of God and don't do it without praying. Prayer is core to it. Read carefully and read prayerfully. Carefully and prayerfully. And the other thing that we must do is meditate and memorize. Okay, don't let the word of God just come in and go out. It's not a TV show. It's not a sitcom. It's not a tweet. It's the holy, living, and active word of God. It's glorious, and it's wonderful. So think on it. Sit with it. Ruminate. Meditate. Chew the cud, so to speak. Old King James language. Just meditate, and then memorize. You'll come across passages that you need for your life because they deal with your addictions or your proclivities or your sinful habits or what you're struggling with. Memorize that. That's the sword of the spirit. Memorize that and use that in those difficult times. Okay, now I realize time is getting away from us here, but I'll bring it to a close quickly. (laughs) Have a plan for the word of God. Now, if reading the word of God is all about knowing Jesus more, mission is all about joining with Jesus. I'm going to make this quick because I've gone so long in the previous section. Listen, every Christian is called to be on mission. It's not the job of the clergy. Our job is to train you to do the work of the ministry. Every Christian is called to be on mission. Jesus in John 20, 21, up on the screen, said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. The most important thing that you could do with regards to mission in 2014 is realize that you are a sent person. Who you are, with who you know, and what you do is a mission field that God has for you. Who you are, with who you know, and what you do is a mission field. You are a sent person. You belong to Jesus. 
He does not waste resources, especially his sons and his daughters. If you're his, you are a sent person. But there's been a lot of mistakes in my life. I don't think I'm where I'm supposed to be, but I've had so many weird turns. God is sovereign. God is bigger than our mistakes. Can I get an amen? Amen. God is bigger than our mistakes. You are a sent person. In what you do, your vocation, with who you know, your friends and family, where you are, your location. So be faithful there to be a witness for Jesus, but also be faithful with a call to the nations, right? Matthew 28, all authority has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, Jesus said. Every Christian should have a concern for mission where they are, representing Christ, and mission in the world, the nations. So we're faithful to proclaim and demonstrate Jesus in our locale, And some of us will go. This is so cool. In 2014, some of you will get called to the nations. All of you will have opportunity to pray for our missionaries, give to missionaries, engage in overseas missionary endeavors. This is part of being a Christian. Local mission and international mission. And you will find the more you give yourself to the word of God, the more you know Jesus, the more you will have a burden for the people around you and the people way over there. Why? Because Christ cares about them. Because Jesus is at work among them. Jesus is at work in your family, in your workplace, in your school, among your friends, and in Africa. And so mission is joining with Jesus in what he's already doing. We don't have to make mission up. We don't have to drum it up. Jesus is already on mission. God is a missionary God. We just pray, Holy Spirit, show me what you want to do with these people that I know. Show me what you want to do with that nation that is strangely on my heart. And then we'd be obedient to that through praying, through going, through giving, and through demonstration and proclamation. Every Christian is called to demonstrate the truth of Jesus and proclaim the, church, the truth of Jesus. Right? Matthew 5 says, it's up on the screen, you are salt and you are light. Salt doesn't get thrown out on the road and light doesn't get hidden. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Represent Jesus. Verse 16 says, let your good deeds. What does it say again? Not that one. Oh yeah. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. So we do things. We demonstrate the truth of Jesus by the way that we live, right? Second Peter chapter two says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, non-believers, right? As a witness for Christ. So we want to live righteously so that we could be a faithful representation of Jesus. But it's, it's not only about the way we live, it's about verbalizing the gospel. Let me just put it on you. We all have the wonderful privilege of telling people about Jesus, of telling people about Jesus, right? Paul wrote to Timothy and said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Listen, Romans 10 says, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they haven't believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things the gospel. We're all called to verbalize the gospel. Nobody's getting saved apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. 
Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we, we shall be saved. And then it says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call upon him unless they have heard about him? And how will they hear unless somebody tells them? It is our wonderful privilege to communicate the gospel to people near and far. Listen, man up, woman up, cowboy up. I know it's not popular in our culture, but it's beautiful before God to verbalize the good news of God's love in the cross of Jesus Christ for us. It's the most wonderful thing that can ever come from our mouths. And we will say so many things this year. Let's make plans to be on mission this year. Local, international. By the way that we live, demonstration, the way that we care for people, the way that we minister, and proclamation, things that we say about Jesus. Told you I'd go quick. And finally, make plan for, plans for relationships. If reading scripture is about knowing Christ better, being on mission is about joining with Christ in his work. Healthy relationships are about glorifying God in his triune image. See, God has always existed as a loving relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to be made in his image means in part to be made for relationship, first and foremost with him, and then with one another. And relationships with one another can just be the hardest thing in the world. Right? It's just, it's really hard, man. It's hard for me. Is it hard for you? So we should make plans this year. So here's what I've been doing in my life. What relationships in my life need the most attention this year? I'm going to be purposeful about it. Is it my marriage that needs the most attention? Is it my kids that need the most attention? Is it something with my coworkers? Is it some friends that I become estranged from? What relationships need the most attention this year? And then how can I make plans to be purposeful in that? You know, my son is he just turned 13 and we're going to have this new baby and he lost his little sister last year and he's 13. So you know what happens when you're 13. Remember 13? Like, whoa. So like my plan for this year relationally is to really, really get the solid, loving father, son, gospel of Jesus Christ thing happening with my kid, my son. Like that's, man, that's, 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 my, that's my biggest relational goal for 2014 is that boy. I'm going to have a little girl. She's going to be awesome. She's going to be cute. I'm going to change her diapers. But as <laughs> I'm praying, my son, what about in your life? What about in your life? What is the relationship that needs the most attention? Make plans for it. Colossians 3. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself in Scripture, being on mission amongst our friends and the nations, calling us to right relationships. Lord, help us to respond now. Holy Spirit, lead us. Thank you, Father, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to lead us into faithful living for Christ. Holy Spirit, lead each one here. 
in relationships and in mission and in time alone with you and your word. And Lord, this year, teach us to pray. We can't do relationships or mission or understand scripture without prayer. We would say as the disciples, teach us to pray. Thank you, Christ, that you love us and that this year, as we put our faith in you, we don't have to earn your love. We are the beloved of God. Teach us to enjoy your love in your word, in your mission, and in each other. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.